This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast where we carefully explore the movie Jurassic Park minute by minute. I'm Brady, and normally we would be hearing from Kyle, my co-host right now, but he can't make it today, so we have the distinct pleasure of being joined again by Jurassic Collectibles. So, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? You're doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Cool. Uh, just, you know, we were talking about how you have some of the best minutes in the entire movie. Not only do we get... Just the kind of gruesome, gory awesomeness of Ray's arm falling on Ellie's shoulder, but we also get Muldoon's death. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for anybody who wasn't able to join us yesterday or isn't familiar with what you do, Jurassic Collectibles kind of explains it all. Uh, so what is that, and, and how exactly did you get started with it? Uh, so um, so I'm basically the, the owner and operator of Jurassic Collectibles. It's um, a YouTube channel that, that's uh, essentially like a museum for all things Jurassic Park. Um, so, you know, toys, um, screen news or production news, props, um, little bits of ephemera, uh, essentially anything to do with Jurassic Park, you'll probably find it on the channel and it's youtube.com forward slash Jurassic Collectibles. Um, but it kind of started out back in 2009, I think I basically picked up the, the Red Rex, the T-Rex toy from 1993. And I just wanted to share it with a few friends and just say, look, I picked this up, you know, and I just made a really short video, slapped some music on it. I didn't expect anything to happen with that video. And I came back to it like a year later and it had like hundreds of thousands of views. And uh, I thought, wow, OK, well, there's really an audience here. People really want to see this stuff. So I thought, right, well, I'm going to pick up a few more things and do a few more videos. And um, it really stemmed from there. I ended up buying all the comics, the original comics and doing a few videos on that. And, um, yeah, it's kind of grown ever since. You know, you, you speak of the Jurassic Park uh, comic adaptation. I can remember having that as a kid. And in the opening sequence where they're bringing in the raptor into the raptor pen, it wasn't Muldoon. It was a guy who looked almost identical to Malcolm. And I've never been able to figure out what the hell that was. But uh, So the guy bringing in the cage at the beginning, you mean? Uh, yeah, the guy who would have been like orchestrating that entire thing. Oh, yes, I know what you mean. You're absolutely right. In the comic, yeah, they, they replaced you with the Ian and Malcolm lookalike. It was so weird. It was, uh, uh, I don't know. It's confusing. Like, as a child, you kind of make these assumptions like, oh, it's Ian Malcolm bringing in the, uh, the raptor. <laughs> yeah, and then he's seeing the dinosaurs for the first time later, and I'm just like, wait, whoa, what? this is too much wait, for my, like, 10-year-old brain to take in. I think it was the shades. He had the shades. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, That's what it was. Absolutely. So, I tell you what, if you're ready, let's go ahead and get into the minute. Cool. Let's do it. In the previous minute, Ellie was able to restore power and inadvertently electrocuted Tim as he was making his way to the ground. Soon after, she was cornered by a raptor in the maintenance shed. She was barely able to make her way back to safety. At 105 minutes, we cut back to Muldoon moving in on the raptor that he has spotted. Muldoon quietly takes off his hat and places it on a log in front of him. We see the raptor quietly lurking just a few feet away. The raptor seems completely oblivious to Muldoon. He quietly unfolds the stock of his shotgun and raises it to his shoulder. He takes aim at the raptor in front of him, ready to fire. But he has forgotten one thing. Raptors never hunt alone. Another raptor head pushes out of the bushes right next to Muldoon. It snarls at him as he turns and says his last words, Clever girl. He swings quickly to shoot the raptor, but isn't quick enough. The raptor pounces on him and takes him to the ground. We hear Muldoon's screams as the other raptor casually looks on. 
And thus ends Minute 105 of Jurassic Park. So this is another thing, you know, speaking of having seen this movie as a kid, when you grow up, you, you don't really question these things or try and comprehend them the way that you would be if you were seeing them for the first time, primarily as an adult. And one of those things is the fact that um, whenever he says clever girl, I don't want to be jumping ahead too much, but whenever he takes aim and he's ready to fire upon the raptor that he's looking at a few feet in front of him, uh, that is who he's referring to when he says clever girl. Not the one that's just poked its head out and is looking right at him. Because this is the big one that he was aiming at. And she has basically ordered his death from the raptor who's about to take him down. And uh, that's just, I'm sure it's the most obvious thing. But I had never really considered it until uh, going back into the movie ready to break it down minute by minute. And it just really adds to the brilliance of the raptors and the cunning of the big one. And the fact that not even Muldoon, this you know, guy who's more or less a raptor expert, uh, could have predicted. So, yeah. that is is the brilliance of their intelligence, isn't it? The fact that it stood there as a dummy, it knows what it's doing, and then there's that really cold moment where the raptor's just watching as as you know his demise, and you've got that snake slithering by. It's quite, it's quite, you know. There's a lot of um, you know, meaning there. It's kind of like a devilish creature, you know, that it's got no soul and it's just really coldly watching right at the end there. Just really, really sinister. What do you think the the meaning of the snake is? Because it's a very deliberate, very direct thing that we're meant to, to make something of, but uh, it's there could be several different interpretations of it. Do you, do you have any idea on why it's just letting the snakes, you know, go by, why the snake is even there? Well, I just assume it's like almost like, you know, you, you have the, the biblical snake, you know, the, the represent, you know, kind of sin and temptation or whatever. I don't know. Maybe you could say the the raptor is devilish. I don't know. Maybe it's the, the modern reptile going by and the raptor being completely unfocused on that as prey. It's kind of like it's allied with modern day reptiles and it's kind of like, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm not. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's kind of like showing modern day reptiles and, and prehistoric reptiles and I don't know. I, I don't know. It's 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 quite a I remember when I watched the film as a child, it's quite an abstract shot because all you can hear is his screaming in the background and then you've got the eye of the raptor and the snake going by. And for some people it might even be confusing because they've seen this raptor jump out from the side and attack Muldoon and some might think that that's the same raptor. Um, so, you know, it could be confusing to some, um, but I always thought that this was quite almost abstract and a bit like, it's the last shot you'd expect to see when someone's being attacked and killed. And that makes it all the more chilling. Absolutely. And the fact that it's, it's not just, you don't just hear him screaming. I mean, those are blood curdling, uncomfortable screams that even to this day, as you're hearing them, you're just kind of like, you want him to stop. So Bob Peck's got a very effective scream. And the fact that we're hearing something that we should be seeing as well, but like you're saying, it's an abstract image. Uh, It's very, um, it's quite the opposite of what we're hearing. And so I think it is supposed to make us that much more uncomfortable when these two reptiles who are like, you know what, we were here long before this man and his kind were, and we're going to be here long after. And it's also kind of... um there's the the whole thing about uh, the gaze, you know, the fact that, you know, in, in paintings you have, 
you or the viewer are looking at the people in the painting and then their gaze is looking back at you and what that means. And what you're looking at here is is the raptor looking directly at uh, the demise of Muldoon, someone who has imprisoned this raptor and has basically almost mistreated the raptor in a way. And the raptor is essentially getting her revenge and the coldest kind of death is to kind of just watch your master being killed. And that's essentially, it doesn't blink, it just non-flinching, just watching their master being killed. And there's something quite, you know, cold about that. And uh, th- there's probably no better way, no more effective way to get that point across than to have it be doing absolutely nothing but observing. Exactly. But observing, just taking it in and saying, like, this is the art which I have wrought and... I'm just going to stand back and enjoy this. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and yeah, yeah, man. It's a very effective scene. And I think I think of like Jurassic Park 3. I know I'm thinking ahead, but you think of like Yudesky being killed by the raptors. I think one of them like breaks his neck and then sort of walks off. And it's quite a kind of a, a careless kill because doesn't, he doesn't matter to them. But this makes it all the more poignant because you just have this cold shot of the raptor unflinching, just looking on and, you know, at this terror. One thing that um, a typical, I don't want to say monster per se, but let's say a monster movie uh, in the sense that your creature doesn't have a personality. It doesn't have anything that's um, giving it a sort of characteristic that makes you think of it almost on a human level. The shark from Jaws is a very basic, very just driving force. And there's not a whole lot of thought except for the fact that he just keeps hunting them. But right here we're seeing a calculated thinking animal, a creature that is uh, putting thought into this whole action and is is not just thinking in terms of like, I'm going to stand back and watch this, but it actually orchestrated this guy's death. They have followed him through the jungle. They've been stealthily and quiet about it. And now they have basically cornered him in. And the fact that they're able to put that much thought into it makes them smarter than the guy with the shotgun. So... Yeah, it's almost like the sort of the... You know, the Vietnam sort of, you know, we're getting you in the old fashioned way type thing. You know, we're kind of it's um yeah, it's, it's pretty frightening. And actually, I think that snake going by just adds another level of abstraction. And like, you know, people generally don't like snakes. So, you know, Indiana Jones has taught us that. And uh, I think it just adds another sort of level of yuckiness, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, it's a chilling scene that one is... Hard to stomach because, like I said, Muldoon screams the the idea that these things are that smart. But also, I don't like seeing Muldoon go. He's such a cool no, character. he's such a cool character. I know. I would not have thought that he was going to die. Did you, when you were younger, did you ever kind of enjoy the scene where he's kind of unfolding the stock of the gun? There's something really kind of like tense and slow, but also, I think as a kid, you were kind of like, you know, when you're into toy guns and things like that, you're like, oh man, I'd love... One that had a folding stock. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's, I think it's really good sounds. Again, it's all sort of diegetic sounds until the raptor comes out. And you've just got this, you know, heavy metal sound of it kind of clicking into place. I just remember thinking that was so cool. It really is. Another, um, it's something that I do always notice that I hope I'm not ruining this for anybody, but he actually puts it up to his shoulder twice. <laughs> He, there's oh. one angle from behind him where he does it, and then we kind of, I think, cut to the side, and he, or maybe it's the reverse of that, and he does it again. But uh, 
But, you know, even then, if you're, like, focusing on something, like you catch something like that, and you're like, oh, wow, they screwed something up, you know. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, you know, you're still going to get, a, you know, a rude awakening when the raptor snarls at him, just yeah. pokes his head right through. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, just, I don't know. There's There's still a sort of appreciation there at the end. This is something that he respects and fears. And even there at the end, he actually, he kind of tips his hat to the raptors, if you will, by saying, nice one, clever girl, you know. Yeah, he realizes, you know, their intelligence. He he respects it, you know. It's yeah. I just, I love the tension of this scene as well. I mean, I just can't get over the how slow it is, and just I, I mean, it's quite short. This is a minute that this happens in, but actually, it feels like you know four or five minutes easily because it, it, the, the amount of tension that's built up in this minute. That's right. They're able to make, and that's that's kind of a, the movie in a nutshell. They're able to make so much out of so little because I think there's only, what, like less than 15 minutes of actual dinosaurs in the movie or something. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah. This, this movie feels like just such a massive, epic movie. But when you think about it, there's really only a couple of set pieces, and they're all pretty minimal, and a lot of yeah. them were in studio space, and the ones that weren't are just kind of out in the open where you don't need a whole lot of uh, to be built. So... This yeah, it's it's kind of you know what you're talking about in a nutshell. Um, and I'd actually argue that's more effective. The the building up of the tension and, and even just people discussing the raptors and how deadly and how fast they are, and then just having just fleeting glimpses of them at the end is much more effective than than seeing them in broad daylight running around and. You know, I, I just think there's something that just really adds to the character of the raptors by not seeing them. It's the same with Jaws, um, you know, and it's it's something that's it's hard to do in a modern blockbuster with all the visual effects that you can put in. Um, it's I suppose it's harder to do that less is more thing. Yeah, uh, there's one of the things that the one of the reasons I actually put Jurassic Park above all of the others in the series for myself personally is the fact that it's so dialogue heavy. And there is so much to understand and to take in and to be told and try and think about. Whereas you get something like Jurassic World, which was was what it needed to, you know, it ended up being the movie that was written and it was made kind of the right way in terms of that, uh, which it didn't need. It didn't need all of this explanation and all these conversations and things like that. Mm, that's right. I think the, the first film I always say is much more of a cerebral film. In, in that it deals with the science and in some ways deals with it better because it sells you a plausible concept of how they've created these dinosaurs. I think if they're to really do a, a, a worthy sequel that will everyone will go, yeah, that's really... I mean, a lot of people say Jurassic World is that sequel, but I think if you want a really scientific cerebral sequel, they've got to do something on that level. And I always compare it to the mosquitoes in the amber you know, I think they've got to do something as novel as that in a sequel in order to kind of regain that feeling of the original Jurassic Park. That's a really good point to kind of bring it back to something simple and build from that as opposed yeah. to making the dinosaurs the beginning, like the sort of genesis, the focal point of that independent story. You know, yes. started from something further back than that. That's a really good point, man. So yet an another thing that I do like about this minute is I always enjoy, like, I guess poetic justice whenever something is introduced in the beginning and they revisit it here at the end. And it's normally somebody kind of getting their own. Mm -hmm. uh, Muldoon is this raptor expert. You know, he is 
the guy that you wouldn't think would be taken down by something like this, and yet he is. And it's just it's if he, the guy has to die, I think it's fitting that it happened in this way, that it's mm-hmm. by this thing that he thought he had an understanding of and a control of, and that in itself is sort of the movie in a nutshell. We think we have an understanding and a control of these things, and we ain't got nothing. Absolutely, yeah, it is very poetic. And it's almost like if he had a choice of the way to go, he'd choose this way. You know what? I think so. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he's met his match. He's an adversary that he feels is worthy. And, you know, he's a hunter. So, it, it, you know, you, you get that feeling that he's, uh, he's certainly intimidated and also has a big respect for the deadliness of these animals. And that might be, like I was saying, him his final sentiments to the whole thing is him tipping his hat. He's like, well... Nice, clever girl. Like, good yeah. job. Here's yeah, well you know, done. You deserve this. Yeah, go ahead and do what you got to do. Absolutely. Uh, well, I tell you what. Do you have anything else for the minute? Um, no, I just want to say that I think that the tension in this scene is just fantastic. I, I love it so much, and I, I I didn't even realize it's a minute. I I really thought it was longer than that, um, and that's just just to me so it speaks volumes about the the brilliance of uh, of Steven Spielberg to make a, a minute feel like five minutes of tension you know absolutely and that just further goes to show that he was the guy for the job you know absolutely we got an incredible movie out of it um well look i want to talk uh some about jurassic collectibles what are some of the other pieces that you have um so we've got a lot of um production use pieces um We've got a, a T-Rex Dew Claw, which is a, like the, the master that they used at Stan Winston Studios. Um, I've got a T-Rex Finger Claw Master, which is when he has his little uh, T-Rex arm dangling over the, the fence before it rears its head. Um, so I've got one of those. I've got lots of um, production casting. So I've got the Stegosaurus, the Consognathus, uh, the Parasaurolophus, and the Pachycephalosaurus. Um, some of those are actually being made into products that you can buy like uh, from Conical Collectibles so I believe they're bringing out the Compsognathus uh, as an actual piece that you can buy uh, but I've had some of those castings for a few years now but yeah I'm just and prop replicas as well so I've got the Cryocan the Embryo Cryocan um, and I've got a replica set of night vision goggles that light up um, so yeah just tons of stuff and it's all reviewed on the channel um, also loads of stuff that you'll remember from, from 1993 if you if you were around when the film came out stuff like the Topps cards the Topps comics um, stickers uh, action figures I mean the toys man the toys by Kenner were just you know unbelievable for the time when they came out yeah to be a kid um, around that around that time you know when movies had their toy line it was like something that kind of it was just an understood part of a summer blockbuster was going to be its toy line and the Jurassic Park toys were you know, so close to the movie, it wasn't like just kind of over the top. Like um, you get Malcolm in his like submersible gear or something. No, it was Malcolm like he was in the movie, and exactly, yeah. And they did it really well, really faithfully. I think the T Rex, the red T Rex, is the one that was the first video I uploaded. Uh, I found out was actually a recast of the uh, the maquette, the one twenty fourth scale maquette that they actually used at Stan Winston Studios. So they literally took the model that they based the T-Rex puppet on and just molded it and made that into a toy. And that's why the quality, yeah, that's why the quality is so good. And in fact, on the back of the packaging of the toys, you can see they used the Stan Winston 
T-Rex as a stand-in to represent this is what the T-Rex toy looks like because it's the brown painted like film looking version and then the actual one that they sold was like a red more like the novel version um, so yeah yeah that's very cool that they would include that yeah I mean you I don't think you'd get that now because I think they'd be a bit more worried about the studio molds getting out of the you know the IP going out of the studio but um, at the time I suppose they just thought well let's get A to B and make a toy I mean we can just cast up these models and we, we've done it so um, so that's a really cool thing as well awesome well, I tell you what, man, uh, I'm here in South Louisiana in the United States, but if I ever make it over to your side of the pond, I want to come check out your, your collection. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. Yeah, come and visit, and I'll, I'll give you a tour. Good deal. Well, look, man, I, we can't thank you enough for being able to come on the show uh, for these two awesome minutes. And um, like I said, you know, we, we want to continue to do Jurassic Park-related stuff for, uh, at our Patreon account for Patreon supporters, and if you're... Uh, if you're interested, we'd love to have you on for something special, one of their shows. Absolutely. Yeah, always. Yeah, it's been an honor, and thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to Minute 105. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 106 of Jurassic Park. And until then, remember to hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at Patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash